Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Substantial Upgrades podcast. As I said, I still don't know for sure how frequent those are going to be. For the time being, let's say for a few episodes a week, which might ramp it up to three episodes a week in busy sporting weeks. So please let me have any feedback on what you would like uh, to, to see and listen to in this podcast. I have, I'm a volcano of ideas. Uh, I can cover several uh, sports and uh, also have some special episode about particular topics which are not like something happening right now, but something interesting about sports that it's not uh, grounded in the now and in the moment. For today's episode, we'll focus on the main uh, event of the week, which is the start of the NFL playoffs on Saturday. We'll talk mostly about betting opportunities, both for the wildcard games coming up this Saturday and ante-post betting for uh, Super Bowl odds and all of that, which is going to be the core of it. Then we will talk about the upcoming uh, Century Tournament of Champions, which is the first PGA Tour event of the season. It's quite an interesting event. If I've say so we'll cover that for daily fantasy and betting and finally the last uh, topic is uh, some updates on the tennis calendar that they just released today which make for an interesting season coming up in 2021 if you don't if you're not interested in any of this topic i have included a timestamp of the different sections in the description of the episode Let's get on with the first topic of the episode, which are the NFL playoffs that uh, will start this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. For the first time, uh, NFL introduced a new playoff format where we have seven teams uh, from each conference competing instead of six teams for each conference as it has been in the past. Um, this means that we get six wildcard playoff games on Saturday. And I was, I guess, in the minority when I looked was looking forward to this development. Many people criticized this choice because they said that, that this would get uh, worse teams in, in the playoff and dilute the, the final playoff product. I actually think that the more football we have, the better it is. I'm in that camp. And I have to say that mm, during this first season that with this new format, we, we on the AFC side, we got seven good teams in the playoff that they can all have a win in the playoff. Whereas in the in the NFC, maybe we could have done with fewer than seven teams. So you see the both the good and the bad that comes with it. And I guess that week seventeen though, uh, this last Sunday was one of the most exciting week seventeen in the past years because there were so many teams involved in the playoff race given that there were more slots available, they've made for a more exciting end of the season. So pros and cons, I guess uh, overall, I'm, I'm, I still have, I reserve my judgment in future season to see whether this format is actually a good thing or not. These are also going to be the first playoffs since the pandemic started that are not going to be held in a bubble. And good luck with that. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens if one of the teams has an outbreak during uh, the week uh, before the game. And then on game day, they cannot field their regular roster and they need to have replacement players for um, you know, impact players. They can make a difference what the NFL is going to do. Uh, it's something that happened during the regular season. But of course, the importance of regular season game is 
not as big as a playoff game. And uh, yeah, good luck with that. I I fear we're going to end up in a situation like that and think if that happens for the Super Bowl. Um, I think it was unconscionable to, to have like, uh, if you don't want to have a bubble, at least have a clear backup plan in place where you say we introduce some flexibility in the playoff schedule. Uh, maybe they have this contingency plan in place. I hope so, but uh, I haven't heard of it. Like they're quite, uh, they've been quite um, arrogant in a way, uh, and uh, because they look at the good uh, track record they had during the regular season, they say, well, if it's not been a, a problem in the 260 games we've done so far, why it should be a problem now? I think that in the US they are at the peak level of the pandemic since it started, so that's why. We'll see how that goes. I hope that uh, we get to see like a regular um, postseason with no tough breaks for any team that are outside of football competence. Um, so let's start break down the the matchups of the wild cards and have some thoughts on the uh, playoff paths of the different. Uh, Teams. Some of them are contenders, some of them are definitely pretenders, so let's see. Um, let's start from the NFC. The matchup between the second seed and the seventh seed is the between the New Orleans Saints and the Chicago Bears. Now, the Chicago Bears are bad. Like, they, they have no business being in the playoffs. Um, they faced eight teams with... A positive record during the season and they are one seven one win seven losses and the one win was just by one point against the tampa bay bucks that's not the makeup of a, of a playoff team um the i i, I don't like um naji uh i don't like the way he runs his team I'm not going to hide that, but I think that objectively they are a bad team. Their defense is overrated. Their quarterback play is terrible. They do not, they have some good players. And if they were exploiting uh, some of the favorable matchups that they have in some games, they would be a better team. But the coaching is so bad that they, they, they just don't exploit any matchups and they just go with a, a game plan that doesn't make any sense to me in most cases. Now, the past two, two or three games, they start relying more on their running back, uh, Montgomery, and that actually uh, led to a better offensive flow for them. It was the first time in three years that I actually liked their game plan. But the bad news for them is that they are facing the Saints, which are a tough defense against the run. And anyway, they, they're going to be out. Uh, Sean Payton is going to outcoach the hell out of Meiji. I mean, even if the in the first half the birds can get along in the second half there will be adjustments by the saints and they get destroyed so here the line the opening line is minus 80.5 for the saints and i will gladly take those points now once the saints advance though even if i i do like the chances in a vacuum when you see the playoff path i don't i don't see them as heavy favorites because if they advance to the divisional round, they will either face the Seahawks or Tampa Bay. Now, the Seahawks are a bad matchup for them, I think. They, uh, I think they will be 
it would be a very uh, defensive game, the one with the Seahawks. And then if it's a very, you know, low scoring game, I'd rather have Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter than the current Drew Brees. And I'm not saying that they would be, you know, the underdogs in that matchup, but certainly they're not heavy favorites. And if instead of facing the Seahawks, they're going to face Tampa Bay. Now you see that they are 2-0. They won two of the two games the, against the Bucks this season, which say, okay, then it means that it's a good matchup for them. Yes, maybe, but did you see Brady losing three times in the same season against the same team? I don't know. It's very tough to beat the same team three times. It's, it's already quite tough to beat it two times, once in the regular season and once in the, play, in the playoffs. Three times in a season is going to be very hard. So whatever happens to the playoff picture and how things shape out, uh, I do believe that they have one of the diffi- most difficult path to, to the Super Bowl, especially for, for, a, for a number two seed. The next matchup is one that uh, had people uh, crying scandal because the Washington football team qualified um, as the winner of the NFC East, which is one of the worst historically uh, division ever. That being said, Washington is a 7-19. And in the games that Alex Smith started, they are 5-2. and two with the two losses coming only by three points. So it's they're not a bad team at all, I think. Um, with Alex Smith under center, they beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They had a close game with the Seahawks, so they show that they can compete with playoff teams. And one thing that uh, is very underrated is their defense. I, for my money, I think that the defense is the best. It's been the best in the NFL. Now, maybe not... Uh, Statistically, because the problem was that with that bad uh, quarterback play, they were on the field a lot, a lot, a lot of time. So they were always gassed. Despite that, their their statistical, they're good according to many statistical categories. But I think that with a quarterback play that keeps the offense on the field more, they have time to rest during the game. And then they become very, very good. Uh, they are a matchup nightmare for many teams. Uh, I'm thinking the, they're a matchup with the Buccaneers. If you look at the records, but also if you look at the eye test, right? You say, okay, Bucs are going to smoke them out. And indeed, yeah, they, I think they're favored by 6.5 points right now. No, sorry, 7.5, which I think it's reasonable. Okay, but I don't think this is going to be um, a high-scoring game. I think that the Washington football team is going to keep the pace as low as possible, try to keep the offense on the field as long as possible, try to convert on, three, on, on their downs, something that they get better uh, in recent uh, games. And on the defensive side of the ball, uh, their pass rush is top-notch. And Tom Brady um, this season has shown that it doesn't really wait for the pass rush to come. It's just, you know go through his readings. He's always done that. But now that he's become increasingly less mobile and probably increasingly less keen on taking hits, he just throws the ball away when the pass rush is coming. Therefore, I think it's um, it, it, it's it's kind of a bad matchup. I think Washington is, is a bad matchup for anyone on the defensive side of the ball. I still think the Bucks are favorite, but not by as much as most people think. 
and I do, I will take the the points. In this case, I would uh, 7.5 points for Washington look reasonable. Um, I would definitely take the the plus in this um, handicap market. Now, if at once they advance at the divisional playoff, Tampa Bay will either face Green Bay or the Saints. As I said, against the Saints, I actually see them as, you know, possible uh, underdogs. Whereas if they face Green Bay, I mean, I, I do hope that happens because it's uh, Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers. So it doesn't get better than that. And in terms of how those team match up with each other, I would probably expect a nice scoring game in that case. However, between the two offenses, surely the Green Bay offense is a bit more oiled. After all, this is just the first year that Tom Brady is working with Arians. And anyway, I I do believe that in that case, if that matchup actually happens, the key for the Buccaneers will be to set up the, the running game. That's because the running the running defense of the Packers is very suspect in weakness going into the play into the playoffs. So if they're able to set up the running game in the first half, then that opens up a bit of a play action where uh, Brady's more comfortable throwing the deep pass. And that makes all the difference with those kind of players, with uh, Godwin and Antonio Brown, which is becoming more and more a crucial ally of that offense. And one question mark for them is uh, the injury that suffer, was suffered by Mike Evans, whether he's going to be back for the playoffs and whether he's going to be in good shape. Playing with Adam would make things a bit more difficult for them, especially in the red zone. So that's something to look out for um, in the in the news flow during the this week and the next. So I I, I would rate the the Tampa Bay chances close to the Saints chances, um, and it's going to be probably the the most interesting uh, team to look for in the NFC. It's the real wild card of that part of the playoff bracket. Uh, now, the last matchup in the NFC is the one between the number three Seahawks and the number six Rams. Now, this is a, those are division rivals, so they know each other very well. They tend to play games that are defensively dominated. And indeed, the last uh, matchup in Seattle was won by the Rams in a very low-scoring game. Uh, clearly, they, they know each other very well, uh, which means we probably should expect another defensive game between the two. And honestly, this one game is the one that, from betting purposes, I will stay away because I have a feeling that either it's going to be like a very, very close game, or as usually happens when team for the same division meet and they play off, one or the other is going to blow the other team out. Not only that, I do believe that with the team that is going to emerge from that matchup as a good chance to make the conference uh, championship against Green Bay. That's because the Rams look like a team that can beat anyone when they're on. Their defense is one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. And their offense, when they're on, they're on. Um, they can beat anyone, really. I do think that uh, the, the, the their potential in these playoffs, where they are not like, they don't have many... Uh, they don't have the spotlight. Nobody's really looking at them as possible Super Bowl contenders. Well, look out. If they beat Seattle, then it's open season. They go in Green Bay, and uh, they can certainly have a chance at that point. 
while on the Seattle side, Seattle is like the typical team that started their season very well. Everybody say, oh, Seattle is good this year. Wow, yeah. They're sure a Super Bowl contender, Russell Wilson, uh, MVP, uh, all of that. And then they kind of regressed a bit. But if you look at, at, at their games, yeah, the, the offense regressed a bit, yes. But it looks more like, to me, a team that is already was already focusing on the playoffs and saying, okay, we're going to keep the good stuff for the playoff. Maybe it's just, maybe I'm wrong. But if that's the case, then they are a contender. And as I said, I kind of like the matchup if they meet New Orleans and they have their chances against the Packers or Tampa Bay. So those are the two teams that on the NFC are the value bets on, on for me. Even if I cannot say which one is going to advance, I think that the one that is going to advance is the the one that um, makes more sense from a betting purpose, from a betting perspective in terms of Super Bowl odds. That's it for the NFC. So looking at the AFC, um, here I I do think that the real question is, are the Chiefs beatable? Are they stoppable? Uh, I think that the main weakness, but it's not the real weakness for uh, Kansas City, is that it's very rare in recent times that the team repeats two times a Super Bowl win. So um, they kind of go against the statistics. At, at the same time, it's been a long while since it happened, so why not the Chiefs? The thing about the Chiefs is, if you think you're going to outshoot them in a high-scoring game, you're going to lose. If you think like you can hold up defensively, you're going to lose. Because even if you are able to keep them at bay for three quarters, in the fourth quarter, last two or three dives of the game, they're going to score on you. So what's the secret to beat them? Now, they they went 1-15. One and fourteen, a meaningful game. Then they lost the last game of the season with their uh, replacements. The games where they went into more trouble were the ones against their divisional rivals. They had tough games against the Raiders and the Chargers, less so the Broncos, which kind of tells me that the most difficult games for them are the one against you know defenses and and defensive coordinators. They they face more often. But the point is, the problem is that there are no real, uh, there are no division rivals in the in the postseason. So, what is the defense that can stop them while having an offense that can win the game when it comes like down to the wire in the final drive, in the final drives of the of the game? Uh, I don't know if there is one. I think that the closest we, we could get to that is, for my money, is the Ravens, provided that they do get to face the Chiefs. It's a team that can, you know, keep the ball in their hands for a long time. They have a ground pound kind of offense, but it's not like Lamar cannot throw the ball downfield if needed. So it's the it's the kind of, of team that first of all can set up a game, a low scoring game against the uh, Chiefs with a limited amount of possessions, uh, without making turnovers. So play a clean game, and then it's also a team that can get to the final quarter in a close game against Kansas City and be able to hold somehow. I think they, they need a lot of luck. I think that they still need like the Chiefs to get something wrong. Mahomes to 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 have a fumble or to throw an interception for as rare as this. Because I don't think you can get uh, you can outcoach the Chiefs. I don't think that uh, Andy Reid can get arrogant and 
don't game plan for their opponent. They've shown it throughout the, the season that if they believe that uh, running is the way to go, they'll do that. Even if it's uh, against their own nature, they will just run the ball on you if that's what the game plan dictates. And that's a strength. That's a, it, the most important strength that they have. They're, they don't get completion. They don't get arrogant. And that's because of their head coach, Andy Reid. So I, I can't say that it, the Chiefs are the favorite for me, both to win the Super Bowl and, of course, to win the AFC Championship. Clear favorite. There's no, I mean, I guess that's the consensus pick. No surprises there. But let's see what the other teams can do in the AFC picture. Now, uh, the first matchup is the one between the number two Buffalo Bills and number seven Indianapolis Colts. Uh, those two teams are at different stages of their uh, organization life. The Bills are finally back to be competitive. The Colts instead went through a soft rebuild process where they have a young defense, um, which is uh, uh, always ever more promising and uh, is getting better every year. And it's now probably one of the top three or four in the NFL. They are well coached. However, they are terribly managed during games, I feel like. There's been many instances this year, but also in past seasons where they went ahead in games and then just gave up on their game plan and uh, were the victims of comeback of other teams in more than one occasion, which, of course, doesn't bode well for the playoff. On the positive side, they've been picking at the right time in their key players. Maniac Darius Leonard is playing uh, his best football of the past two years. Same can be said for T.Y. Hilton on, on offense. And the big uh, question mark is obviously Philip Rivers and his performance under uh, clutch. And in playoff, it's, it's been historically pretty bad. And it is a combination of bad quarterback play in the fourth quarter when you need to have a game manager when, once you are in the lead and the bad manager on the bench when you are in the lead that makes for catastrophic outcomes in the playoffs. And indeed, the way I see this game between Buffalo and Indianapolis is Buffalo lagging behind in the first quarter because the Colts are going to come up, come out with a better uh, game plan and execute it very well, both on offense and defense. But then in the, in the fourth uh, quarter, we'll see a comeback. We've seen it happen many times. Josh Allen is the kind of players that kind of inspires comebacks. In a way, it feels like this is a more important game for the Bills than it is for the Colts. So I do believe Buffalo advance. But in the same way, as I said, for the New Orleans Saints, that they were the second seed in the NFC, their playoff pass is very difficult because they will be challenged by the Colts and they might as well lose. If they qualify, they are likely to face the Steelers. And the Steelers faced them less than one month ago, and Buffalo won the game pretty easily. However, in the playoffs, the experience of Pittsburgh personnel, but especially the head coach compared to the Bills, is quite an important experience gap. And I do think that Tomlin, the Pittsburgh head coach, has taken notes from that matchup. And I'm not sure whether McDermott and his staff is as good as Tomlin in making adjustments when facing the same opponents twice. So my money would be on the Steelers in that matchup. And uh, I do think that the Steelers will make it to the championship game with the Chiefs, which they will lose. Pittsburgh is good enough to make easy pickings of the Browns. If we see this match like this Sunday, 
and you could see that the Steelers without their starting quarterback, they had a very competitive matchup with the, the Browns. And uh, there was also like a learning process, as I said, Tomlin is very good in breaking out matchups once it actually see them on the field. So I do expect uh, the Steelers to easily win against the Browns. I do see him, as I said, favorite versus the Bills, but then when facing the Chiefs, they don't have the kind of defense to withstand the Chiefs' offense. And this is regrettable because at the start of the year, if it wasn't for all these injuries, at the start of the year, I would have said, okay, the Steelers are actually going to compete with this defense against the Chiefs. But now, with all these injuries that they, that they had, I don't think that's the case. That's no longer the case. So for me, as I said, Chiefs go to the Super Bowl on the AFC side unless they face the Ravens and the Ravens get lucky. Very difficult. And indeed, talking about the Ravens, their matchup with the Titans is a matchup between the two best rushing offense in the, in the NFL. That doesn't mean that they are necessarily a rushing heavy offense. They are, but both offensive coordinators, they, uh, they installed a balanced offense that also take advantages of uh, Tannehill and his uh, good play-action play and Lamar Jackson and his scrambling abilities. And they're two of the, 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 the best OC in the NFL right now because they, they've, been, um, they've been talked about as possible head coach candidates for next year, both of them, which means we're going to see a higher score in the game. It's probably going to be the most entertaining game if I had to choose one between those six. However, when it comes to two very good offenses, what I always say, just look at the difference. Which one is the best defense? And to me, it's pretty good that the Ravens do have the best defense. Quite underrated, especially in the secondary. So I have the Ravens in this one, and quite easily, I would say. So to drop it up, final Super Bowl pick for me is a quite obvious one. It's Chiefs Packers, which is the most likely and also the, the one with the lowest odds. However, if you want to go a bit more exotic, if you want to go for the upset, for the, the crazy playoff, then I would say Ravens on the AFC side and one between the Rams and the Seahawks on the NFC side. And I'll say that for once, I don't want the exotic side. I want like chalk. I want the Chiefs and the, and the, and the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. Mahomes versus Rogers is what we all want. And I think we deserve the Super Bowl in this troubled year and season. So, yeah, exciting weekend. I had six games, six playoff games in the NFL in one weekend. Unprecedented. So, second topic of today, which is something I'll try to do weekly now that uh, the new season started, is the PGA Tour uh, upcoming tournament starting Thursday, the inaugural tournament of the new season which, as usual, is going to be held in Kapalua in Maui, Hawaii, on the plantation course. This is a, a tournament with no caps because there are only a few uh, players invited, which are the players that recorded the win in the previous year on the PGA Tour. However, this year the field has been uh, enlarged to include also players participating in the um, Tours Championship last year. This means that we're going to have more rookies than usual on this course. And I've seen uh, people uh, making the argument this is a very specific specific course that you need to know to succeed here. If you look at the um, course history, you do see that uh, it's always the same 
golfers that tend to do well here. But my point is that that's because it's always the same golfers that do play here. This year that we have more rookies, I am not going to shy away from backing some of those rookies because I don't think there's anything really specific about this golf course that makes it impossible for rookies to succeed. I think it's more about the environment. It's the first tournament of the season. It's a very loaded field. So when you're a rookie, you you don't tend to emerge in these situations. But I think that we can pinpoint some of the rookies that can uh, actually do well in such a setting. The course is a par 73 course, which is uh, uh, um, a unique feature um, among PGA tournaments. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's, um, it's a good uh, location for players that play long ball. Actually, what's more important um, in this uh, type of uh, golf course is uh, ball striking. Also, because you don't really need to be that good on your first shot. You, they have the widest fairways on, on tour, which means that the emphasis is on the second shot and the approach to the green. And indeed, the, more, the most relevant statistics, I think, for this tournament are stroke gained in around the green, a stroke grain, the T2 green. Putting is also quite important, especially the ability to putt on Bermuda greens. It's one of the main discriminants, I think, when you look uh, to try and pick apart these fields in terms of who you see as a favorite. Obviously, being in Hawaii and being uh, a coastal course, you need to look at players that uh, play well in windy conditions. We don't, the, the forecast is not like that bad in terms of wind. Uh, Thursday and, and Sunday look worse than uh, Friday and Saturday, but it's a no-cut event, so we don't need to worry about player missing the cut because of windy conditions. For sure, a, a good track record in this type of course is something uh, I, I will look at, but I wouldn't say it's one of the main factors. One final word on the on the plantation course is that um, it's been renovated in 2019, which means that we only had one edition here in 2020 on the new course, and that caused um, the, the scoring to be much uh, higher than it was in previous editions. This was um, a part 73 course, famous for its low scoring with the totals uh, below minus 20, uh, winning totals. But after the renovation, it's become tougher to play, so that's also something to keep in mind when we look at the history of the individual players on the course. Now, in terms of um, betting, so money bets, I think one good value bet is uh, Patrick Reed, the 17. He showed good form at the end of 2020. Is, um, he has one win here on this course and two run and rough finishes, uh, the last, including the last one on the renewed course. So it's a more relevant, let's say, uh, position. And then I think that um, he's the kind of player that can go on an off streak on a part 73 course and become a birdie machine in one or two rounds. And uh, it's definitely a player that likes uh, the spotlight of this um, type of tournament where there are restrictions to the number of players uh, at the event. That's the first suggestion I have. Then uh, other two players that are uh, listed at 29 odds are Morikawa and Berger. I like Berger because he tends to uh, get odd in high-stake tournaments with loaded fields. And he's also the first in uh, stroke gain putting uh, at the end of last season. And as I said here, putting is quite crucial because they have wide greens and you need to make the most of your opportunities that you build with, own, with your own ball striking. And Morikawa, I like uh, because of his ball striking quality and because he was in the top seven last year in his debut year. 
and uh, 29 odds, I think it's uh, it's a good investment. The the longer odds I would uh, recommend are Adam Scott, which which is always uh, um, a risk motivation wise. You never know which version of him you're gonna get. However, is in his only participation here he was six. Australian players tend to do well at the start of the season and especially in tropical conditions. And uh, he, he had an excellent putting average in the few appearances at the tail end of last season. So even if we don't have much of a, of a track record, the recent track record, the track record that we have is that his putter is, putt is on fire. So that should be taken into account at a 51. It's, um, it, it's, it's a value bet, I think. And the last player, the last golf player I'd, I'd like to recommend is uh, Carlos Ortiz. Carlos Ortiz is as uh, uh, is maiden victory last year, only a few months ago, on a Bermuda green golf course. He has the he ranks in uh, top three or five, both in strokes gained around the green and strokes gained tee to green, which are the two statistics I said are the most relevant for me. And you get all of that at 91, uh, which I think it's a very good price. Now, that's for the money bets. Talking about fantasy uh, uh, golf, uh, if you look at the main favorites, players that cost more than, say, 9000 9, Um Obviously, I do like Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas both, but I would prefer Dustin Johnson here. Uh, he has two wins. He never fell out of the top 10 on this course, which means that you know he has some uh, floor to him this week, and he loves Bermuda Greens. He has seven wins on Bermuda Greens. And I think he might be slightly less on than Justin Thomas because uh, he's more expensive than Justin Thomas. So between the two, I will go with DJ this week. I would fade the Shambo. I think that uh, the bombing approach might not work here. And his pattern faded a bit to, towards the end of the season last um, in 2020. And Schoffele Zender is like uh, a, a, a difficult uh, man to read. He's been top two in consecutive years here. And he tends to do very well in no-cut events, uh, mostly because he, he is another player that can be very streaky. So if you give him four sure rounds, you, you're more likely to get one good round when he goes minus nine or minus ten. Uh, so he might be a good player to build your lineup around, but 10,000 might be a bit more expensive in this loaded field. Other players kind, that are kind of expensive that are like, of course, Morikawa and Berger, as discussed before. Matsuyama, although I think he might be a bit overrun because he has, he has top uh, four in the, his three participation here, so he clearly likes the, the course. One value um, pick, I think, is Scotty Scheffler, which is a rookie here, but he's shown that uh, as a rookie, he can perform big time in this type of big event. And you can get him for the same price of a guy like Cameron Smith, but I think he has more upside because of his ball striking, and you're probably going to get him at a far less ownership than uh, than Cameron Smith, which is a bit of a darling of the fantasy community in the past few months. It's very difficult to build a lineup uh, uh, predicated on a stars and scrub strategy where you have two or three top players and then two or three scrub players, because I don't really like the scrub players in this tournament, and uh, historically... They don't perform well. They, 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 you see very uh, um, seldom that players that are not in the top 50 world players finish in the top five, top 10 here. So it's very difficult to find value. 
But if you want to follow the strategy, my four favorite names are players uh, priced less than uh, uh, 6,500 on DraftKings are Martin Laird, which has a second, uh, it was runner up here almost a decade ago and show good form at the end of last season, won a tournament after a long time. Uh, Adson Swafford and Brian Gay, and also Richie Varensky, which is very cheap at 6,000. Uh, it's a very high-risk bet, but um, he's a good putter and he's a birdie machine when he's on top form. For him to get top form for four rounds, four consecutive rounds is going to be almost a miracle, but at this price, uh, you, you, you pay for, you get for what you pay, basically. So, yeah, the, that's it for me. Um, overall, I think uh, we'll see uh, heavy favorites winning the tournament. So I wouldn't go very heavy on the betting this week uh, because you're, you're very, it's going to be very likely one between DJ, JT, Xander, Patrick Reed or Cantley or even Simpson to win the tournament. But on the, on the, on the fantasy side, I think that... Uh, there's plenty of opportunities uh, and to get creative with your with your lineups if you stuff the the lineups with the mid-range uh, value picks. Actually, I almost forgot about him because it's not among my favorite players. But Brandon Todd uh, is a very good value pick. It's cheaper than guys like Leishman, Leishman and uh, Cockrock, but he has three wins overall on, on the PGA Tour. One of them is on the Bermuda Greens. One of them is in a tournament in a Dallas, uh, where on, on a course with the same designer of the plantation course, where the the century tournament is going to be held this week. So he has a very uh, good track record in for this course type, and at this price, I think uh, it, it's a very sound investment in daily fantasy. And unless I'm forgetting anything else, no, I don't think so. That's uh, those are my suggestions for the week. And uh, yeah, so first tournament of the season. Hope we're gonna have fun over the weekend, and uh, I hope I will able to make those podcasts about golf periodically on uh, on, on Wednesday or Tuesday every week. So for the last few minutes of the podcast, I wanted to talk about the in- upcoming tennis season. Actually, I could say it's ongoing since it's starting this week with the Dubai tournament for the ladies, uh, the WTA Tour, and the Delroy Beach and Antalya tournaments for the on the ATP Tour. Now, um, they had to reschedule some of the, um, of, the, of the tournaments because of the pandemic and because of uh, the Australian uh, strict quarantine rules. So what we're going to see is basically both the WTA and the ATP Tour spending most of their time in uh, in the first quarter of 2021, either in Australia or in the Middle East, with tournaments in Dubai, Doha, and more than once, actually. So um, the schedule, uh, it's a bit funny because we'll, we'll see um, the qualifying for the Australian Open next week. It's going to be in uh, Doha for the men and in Dubai for the ladies. But then... When they, uh, the actual Australian Open starts on the 8th of February. So there's almost a month between the qualifying and the actual uh, Grand Slam tournament because the players need to go into Australia in quarantine for uh, 14 days. And in these 14 days, they're going to held two tournaments in preparation to the Australian Open still in Melbourne. So they're going to spend one month in Melbourne, basically both the WTA and the ATP tour. And after that, 
the ATP Tour will embark on his usual uh, Gira Sudamericana with the usual tournaments in Cordoba, Santiago, Buenos Aires, and some tournaments in Europe. And the big, um, the big loser out of all the rescheduling is the Indian Wells Tournament, which has been basically cancelled and replaced by the Miami Tournament. It's going to start in April after the Gira Sudamericana is over. And after that, we're going to see a schedule that resembles more uh, what we see typically. So the, the clay season looks uh, the same as always with the uh, typical, tur typical, typical tournament calendar closed by Roland Garros in the end of May. Then we're going to have like three or three weeks of preparation for Wimbledon. And after that, the CDR course season in the US and then the, the tail part of the season as usual in Europe and uh, China. So, um, so good news overall. They announced uh, the, all the dates today uh, for the ATP Tour. For the WTA, they announced up until Wimbledon, but I would expect that they will have a similar uh, schedule to most years after that. Whether they're going to pull this um, quite uh, busy schedule as if it was a normal year, we'll have to see. There are only few... Um, novelties in the WTA calendar where they made uh, Madrid a premier event. So it's uh, an event at par with the one that um, is on the ATP tour. So Madrid is gaining more and more um, center stage in the tennis world. Now they have two premier tournaments on both tours and also the, the Davis Cup. And then um, they have this um, new tournament in Berlin on grass court, if you can believe that. So it's the first time in a decade that they are back in Berlin, but it was it used to be a, a, a tournament played on clay, but now it's played on grass, and that's before Wimbledon. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And uh, yeah, I'll, um, if you're interested in tennis betting, I follow closely with my daily betting tips column, tennis tournaments throughout the year. However, if you're just interested in, you know, get some updates and some ideas on what could happen in the Grand Slam events and big events. I think that I will cover the Australian Open when we get there in a month or so. Uh, that concludes today's uh, episode. I hope uh, you enjoyed. Uh, if you want to send any feedback, uh, it's very welcome. And uh, that's it for me. Bye-bye.